0: If you join me again into Second Corinthians, we are looking at chapter 6, verses 14 to chapter 7, verse 1. We thank the deacon for reading the scripture earlier. I will lift up that last verse which he read from that 7th chapter and verse 1 from the New Living Translation to help us find the theme or the subject matter for this morning. If you're not there, say, hold on. Praise the Lord. If you're there, say, let us begin. Let us begin. Amen. Let us begin. Hopefully, arrive to the same conclusion. Verse, First verse of this seventh chapter to the, in 2 Corinthians, word of God says, because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit. And let us work towards complete holiness because we fear God. Praise God for His words. You may be seated as you take your seat. Help me announce this to your neighbor. Tell them, call to holiness. Amen. You know, we don't want to live anybody out so somebody else didn't get taught to, nudge them, wake them up, tell them the same subject matter, tell them, call to holiness. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The goal of the subject matter we want to deal with is that God calls us to live wholly devoted to him. We are called to be holy because of the Holy One's work on the cross for us. Who... We were at one time far away from God, living in darkness and in sin. But we are made holy by the shedding of blood on the cross by Jesus, God's Son. We cannot be made holy on our own, but by the grace of God, we are called to be holy by confessing and accepting Jesus as our Lord and Savior. This amazing grace, which was displayed for us on the cross, should encourage us to work in fear of God. Fearing God will lead one to obey his commandments and look forward to his promises according to his word that is hidden in one's heart. This is the pursuit of holiness. To do the works of our Holy Father we want to show his nature and character in our life by sharing this gospel that we believe that we preach that we live and living out his word therefore let us live to honor God and remove what dishonor him for our Heavenly Father has done so much for us just previous in this letter Second Corinthians 5th chapter looking at verse 21 it says he made him who knew no sin To be sent on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So in becoming the righteousness of God in Christ, we will have to consider Christ's death. Christ died in our place and his resurrection was for our benefit to now live for the Heavenly Father and and know life, everlasting life. Because this great work of salvation, we have this great promise involved. uh, I'm sorry, this great promise that God has given us through this great work of salvation. God will fellowship with us by living with us. He will walk among us. We will be his people. He will be our God. And we will forever be with him. But this is only after, only after, only after we are fully submitted to him. So this call to holiness leads us to this great promise that we're looking for. But there's something in between to the call and the promise is our obedience. See, we're living in a dark world. Y'all know this is a dark world. I know we see the sun shining. It is a nice bright day outside. But spiritually, this is a dark world. How do we know this is a dark world? Just look at what's showing in the movie theaters. Why, why, why else can we have such dark stuff be box office movies? Because it, 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 it gets us excited. It ministers to our flesh because our flesh desires what is evil and hostile to God. You, you understand that this flesh cannot please him. And since the flesh cannot please him, Jesus died just so that we can be free. From this bondage of flesh. That's why we look again at that promise of Second Corinthians fifth chapter, verse twenty one it says, For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering of our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Anybody here want to be made right with God? And and you see it says so that we could be made right means this that I cannot get myself right. There's some people out there that are dying because they think that they can get it together. And since they think that they can get it together, they are not coming and surrendering to God and pursuing him and seeking after him. They have part of the gospel, but not the full gospel. You know, when people get part of stuff, they mess stuff up. People here seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added unto you. And they say, yeah, that's right. I want all those other things. But yeah, they got part of the truth. It says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What happens here that we we want so much what we can get out of this world, we're not looking about how much we need him in this world. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which means that I am looking for things that are not in this world because his righteousness is not of this world. This world is full of wickedness, waiting for redemption. So I'm pursuing him and the only way, hallelujah, the only way I can seriously, truly find God is in his word. Do you understand that? That other people can tell you, but you can find it in the word. In His Word, He shows us how He loves us. In John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. In that we also find in His Word that He sent His Son to die in our place. And so, when you look and reflect on the death of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is to motivate us to have a fellowship and a relationship with God and not unbelievers. To pursue holiness is to be separated from unbelievers, living a life in submission to Christ that involves one denying oneself and picking up their own cross and following after Christ. Another way to say it is how Paul did it in his letter to Romans. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And so when we, we see this, that when it tells us to be separated, and, and some translations says do not be unequally yoked, uh, we should not be partnered with unbelievers, what it is telling us here is that we should not be confused with those who don't trust him. You understand? It's not saying that you would not be associated with them. That you will not be seen with them. You'll be seen with them, but they should not confuse you for them. I lost somebody. There should be a distinct difference between dark and light. Uh, I, I believe that you know without a shadow of a doubt, if a light is out of the room, you can tell, oh, it's dark in here. There's a difference. When someone sees us, they should see light and not darkness. Can it help somebody out? In other words, there's no double agent in the kingdom. We, we like those spy novels right a double age. You don't know which side they're on. Don't know should I trust them or not trust them. There's nothing like that in the kingdom. Darkness does not fellowship with light. Righteousness is not with unrighteousness. Holiness is not with unholiness. And, and look how he drives and emphasizes the point. It says, is Christ friends with the devil? And so... These rhetorical questions have a resounding no to make sure we understand that we should not be caught up being confused by living a life as an unbeliever but confessing I'm a believer. We are called to holiness. We are called to be separated. My understanding that we are called to be separate means this, that also that I might be around those who do not believe him, but yet my life, my character, my conduct does not reflect them. Which means that when they see you, they see the difference. Anybody has someone come around you and they don't know you, but all of a sudden they feel the presence of God around you, that they start saying some Christian stuff to you. Like, will you pray for me? or excuse me for cursing, or let me turn this music down, it's too loud, it has some cursors in there. All of a sudden, their attitude changes around you because how you carry yourself, that they see light and darkness can have nothing to do with light. That's how we should walk and talk and carry ourselves. And when people see us, they see there's something different in you. It's a sad state that if in the church people say, I get treated better outside of the church, than they do in the church and when people say that to me it hurts me because that's not true there's to be so much love in the body of christ that you'd rather be in the church than anywhere else but when people say i was more accepted in the club in the bar out on the streets than i was in the church my question is what church did you go to Because it should never be that way that when you come into the house of God that you feel unaccepted, uninvited. But when you come into the house of God, that's the opportunity for us to share with them what he's done for us. He can do for you. And check this out, he's still not done with me yet. But when we get caught up that we think we are better than what we really are and we stop pursuing holiness we become those bad examples of who we talk about. Y'all catch that? We become the bad example of who we talk about. We don't see how ugly we are, but we see how ugly everybody else is. And the problem that many of us might want to check is that when you're calling somebody else out, you better check yourself. Because oftentimes what you're pointing out is the ugliness that's already in you. You're going to say, you don't need to talk like that to so-and-so, but that's how you talk. But you won't get mad at somebody else having an attitude with you, but it's okay when you have an attitude. We need to realize in pursuing holiness that we are consistently trying to be different from this world and not be confused in this world. So therefore, there's a separation. Just as we know, oil and water don't mix. We should understand that we should not be unequally yoked. Another thing about this unequally yoked, we oftentimes use this to counsel our children in dating, telling them you should not be dating those who are not uh, unsaved. Yes, you can apply that to them, but yet you should check yourself. Are you fellowshipping? Hanging out with those who are unsaved? Getting caught up with those conversations that go, because if you send that kind of a sound, how can you tell your child not to be around so-and-so when you're around so-and-so? It's a conflict of story. We need to set the example that how we interact and behave with people that they can see a distinct difference. Yes, so-and-so does this, but I don't do this, and that's why I don't hang out with them. They said, no, there's a difference. People should stop calling you to go out to doing the things you no longer want to do because they realize there's a difference in your character. So why should I bother calling you to tell you about to go party or about to go do this when I know you don't want to do this? Because it should be evident in our walk and in our talk that God is calling us. So look at what this calling us to be separate, to be different from the world. And then look at the promise that God will give to those who are different. He says, I will be your God. You will be my sons and my daughters. And what I I love about this, he says, I will walk with you. means I will commune with you. I will have fellowship with you. And then it says, I will live with you. I will make you my home. I will dwell with you. This is beautiful. This is beautiful. Look, look, look deeper within this text. He says, I will walk with you. I will live with you. You will be my sons and you will be my daughters. This is going back to what he originally wanted when he made Adam and Eve in the garden of Eden. He says, I will walk with you. I will talk with you. I will dwell with you. But when sin entered in, he says, no longer can I walk with you. Can I talk with you? I dwell with you y'all need to get up out of here that's what sin does sin will separate us from god but god wants us to be separated unto him so he has provided the great sacrifice in jesus to die in our place can i give you another example how how could it be that i say i love my mother and my father and my mother and my father made sacrifices to make sure I had a great education, to make sure I had a place to stay. They put me through college, and I get gainful employment. And, I, and they tell me this. They tell me, say, always be honest, do your job, and be respectful. And I do all that, but I never call them. Does that show gratitude? But, yeah, that's how we say we live for the Lord is as long as I show up to church long as I get some tithes and some offering, but I have no relationship with you. I don't communicate with you. I don't seek after you and see what else can I do to please you, but I just go on and get what's mine. That is not what he's calling us to do. He is calling us to pursue him, and pursuing him means that we are seeking to have a relationship with him, commune with him, and to know his will. So if we understand that relationship and that aspect, how dare we say to our Father, I'm never going to check in with you, I'm never going to talk to you, I'm never going to pursue you, but as long as I get what I want, it should be all right. I didn't break any laws that the state has made, but I've broken his laws because I've put idols before him. When we have anything before God, that's an idol. So therefore, because of this great work, we ought to pursue holiness. So we should, we should not be confused with living in this world. Because we understand what? Because we are surrounded by darkness, the light had to come into this world so that we will know how to, the way out of darkness into his marvelous light. Because we understand, right, light does not fellowship with darkness. Therefore, as believers, we must remove ourselves from the darkness. We have to live a life that is pure and holy unto him. This calls us to be his children. Being his children, we must reflect our father. And reflect our father. We must be holy for our father is holy. And do you see this, how God says this? That he will dwell with his temple, his children, his church. We are to be vessels for the holy living God. And look. In his temple, there should be no idols. Last, last week, we talked about Jacob and he having a holy household and, and, and how he removed all idols from his household. And they made an altar when they got to their destination. My question to you, do you have an altar in your house? Do you have a place that you spend time in devotion and prayer, seeking his face to see his face? And have you removed anything that would distract you from him? You, you might be saying, oh, what is my altar? Your altar might be your bed. You get down on your knees and your bed becomes your altar. Your altar might be your closet. You go into your closet. Get down on your knees and be right there. Your altar might be your front porch. You sit down there in the presence of God and seek his face. You don't necessarily have to get some stokes, some stones or some sticks and some wood and cut it out and build it up. But this altar is, his, is your heart that when you make yourself available to say, God, here I am. My life is yours. I give myself away. I'm devoting myself to to you you're making an opportunity for God to minister to you and through you and you say Lord let me remove anything and everything that will distract me away from you because I want to remove idols go to the point of think about this how would you feel if you came up into the church and you saw a whole bunch of idols in here would you say this is a place of God Were you going to see all kinds of different religion artifacts up here in a place with with lights and candles and shrines dedicated unto them? Nope. That's why God is making it clear to us that we should not make any graven images before him. We need to grab hold to this. He makes it clear when you look in in Exodus, the the 20th chapter, when he makes them and gives the, the, the Ten Commandments, he makes it clear to them that there should be no other gods before him. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing love and kindness to thousands, to those who love me, and keep my commandments. Do you see that in the promise? Then, when we keep his commandments, he will show his love to us. But just as he will show his love to us, he will also show his wrath to those who do not love him, and wait for the coming of his appearing. You see, the, the the issue is that in this world and understanding this gospel message, we understand that his love brings forth his mercy, and his wrath brings forth his punishment. And John 316 goes on, and verse 17 says that he did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved. Which means that he could have come to punish us, but his mercy was so great. Hallelujah. His mercy was so great that he says, I desire that you might know me and know life and know the coming of my kingdom. Because you understand, he's coming back again. And since he's coming back again, we ought to redeem while the day is still day. We ought to work while it's still day. We need to get out into the field and do the work of the Lord and proclaim the gospel to all who are willing to hear and declare to them that the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. And know him. Because you understand that as Paul is writing to them, he's happy that the Corinthians were moved to sorrow and the sorrow moved them to repentance. And he's encouraging them that as you understand this great promise, look at these great promises. You go back into the fifth chapter, you can see there's a promise that we will have a a house not made by man's hands. Oh, hallelujah. That's a good promise right there. We will be present with the Lord, though we're absent with the body. Oh, that's a good promise right there. We are new creatures in Christ Jesus. Oh, that's a good promise promise right there and then it goes on in chapter 6 saying that then that we will be his temple his place of fellowship will be his people he will be our god it will be his children and so these some of these promises we have already attained and some of them we are waiting for how many are waiting for that new body over in glory how many are waiting to be in his presence and so he's letting us know that this is the promise, that if you trust me and you desire and you pursue after me, you know that this world cannot do anything to you that will hurt you because, what, if you're absent from this body, what you'll be present with me. Oh, glory be to God. When I think about how we are crossing over, it's, it's, it's sort of like having a dream. You can think anybody ever take your child to one place and they go to sleep, so you put them in a the car, they go to sleep in one place, but they wake up in another place. That's what's happening to us, that when we trance over, when we fall asleep, we are going to wake up in another place. And in this other place will be a place of joy, a place of laughter, a place of everlasting bliss. There'll be no more pain, there'll be no more suffering. He said to wipe away the tears from our eyes. We'll be able to partake of the tree of life. This is what we're aiming for, what we're striving for, what we're working for, and be, and we're only able to achieve this because all the work wait done two thousand years on Calvary. Y'all know what happened on Calvary, right? That he died in our place. It was a substitution. And when I think about it was a substitution, how, how, how moving it is when we watch movies or someone dies in somebody else's place. Isn't that moving? Oh, he died in so-and-so's place. He died to save so-and-so. Oh, and that brings us to tears. And think about it. They didn't die for you, but you were moved to tears. God died for us. That's to move us to live now for him. He rose again from the grave to show that we will have life in him, an everlasting life. So that should move us now to be dead to this world and alive for him. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised from them. That's 2 Corinthians 5.15. He is Jesus who died for the world so that we might know life in him and through him. This life we now live in is no longer for us, but for him who died and rose again for us. Therefore, do not be unequally yoked or teamed up or partners or fellowship or being in agreement with unbelievers. Instead, you should be pursuing holiness because you've been called to holiness. Every head bowed, every eyes closed. Lord, we come right now realizing you called us to holiness. And, Father, Lord, there's issues in our lives that if they have caused us to be distracted, to not walk in full submission and obedience unto you. Father, Lord, we want to cleanse ourselves. We want to separate ourselves. We want to change our mind and our attitude so that it would be towards you, O God, that we no longer be horizontal focus but vertical focus. That we keep our eyes upon the hills from which cometh our help. And all our help, Lord, comes from you. You will guide us. You will direct us. You will keep us. You will hold us. You will, you who are able to keep us from falling and lead us not into temptation. You are able to give us to uh, strengthen us and surround us and keep us and not give us more than what we can bear. You are able to supply our every need. You are able to do it exceedingly and abundantly above and beyond what we can ask or think or even imagine. All, all of this by the by your glory and by your power and by your riches that you've placed in us for the glory of your church in Christ Jesus. And, Lord, we want to respond to this call of holiness, that when people see us, they see light and not darkness, that when they see us, Lord, they see a distinction between the world and those living for you. We want to be the light of the world, the salt of the earth. Lord, there might be someone here who does not know Jesus. Lord, I pray today that they realize that they can't get it right, but Christ made them right by dying on the cross for their sins and rising from the grave on the third day. Lord, I pray that they can confess all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Lord, we pray that they will confess and believe today, and we will welcome them here in this place all God's children that agree say amen amen, amen. maybe